Hello and welcome to Money Mastery and Financial Planning, a podcast for women with your host, Rebecca Robertson. We're going to be focusing on maximising your money, creating wealth and empowering financial success. For more information about us, head over to our website, www.rebeccarobertsonevo.co.uk. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Rebecca Robertson. I'm your host of the Money Mastery and Financial Planning for Women podcast show. Thank you for joining us today. And so we're going to be talking about questions to ask a financial advisor or financial planner. And I hope also this gives you a bit of an insight um, as to how regulation and financial advice works. So somebody that is a financial advisor and works in the F- under the FCA remit um, is not somebody who is a money coach or a business coach or a, um, abundance or um, money mastery kind of coach of any of those sort of questions <laughs> or oh, sorry statuses um, or titles. They are somebody who is either called a financial planner, an independent financial planner, or something with like a financial planner, non-investment type of title. And they work under a regulatory remit. Those people that have titles like money coach or money mentor are working under a non-regulatory remit. So what does that mean? So it means if they give you advice, And it's deemed as personalised advice based on your financial circumstances. And you took that advice. That basically means it's your fault if it goes wrong. Whereas if you get advice and there was something wrong with that advice, you could actually go to certain cycles to demonstrate that that advice was wrong and you were given wrongful advice and potentially be compensated for that wrong advice. When somebody is regulated, they often have, um, well, they will have certain processes and remits that they have to go through. Now, with either industry, you always get a bit of a bad egg and you always get somebody who is immensely amazing. So there's no, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I have feet in both areas and they both have their place. And it's deciding what actually you need for your personal circumstances at that time. So is it somebody who's more of a coach style or a mentor style, or is it somebody that can actually give you regulatory advice? So for myself, for example, I am an independent financial advisor. So I work in the regulatory remit and I'm very clear as to when I've had that regulatory hat on and what I'm doing, but I'm also a money coach and a money mentor And I run programs, I run a membership and I do some one to one coaching, which is really more around um, the more um, budgeting, spending mindset. And I do go into the other areas as well. So investing and um, wealth creation and that kind of thing. But it's all done on a generic information basis. You take that information and do with it as you will. Um, Whereas when you're giving regulatory advice, it is so bespoke, you get a report that are based on your personal circumstances as to what you should do and how you should do that. So there are many different things to think about when it comes to this. And that's one, do you want to do it yourself or two, do you wish to get advice? So I was just going to talk through some questions that you can ask. Um, So for those people that are looking for maybe a money coach or money mentor, 
it's asking the question, okay, you're not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, but what regulation do you have? What qualifications do you have? What is your background? So have you just set this up five minutes ago and you're a hairdresser and now you're a money coach and you've been doing that two months? What actually accredited training have you gone and done to say that you're not necessarily qualified to do that job or what's your experience to be able to do that job? And what qualifications or training have you had to actually coach people to do that job? What experience have you had? So it's, it's making sure you're asking the right questions to the right people. And with that, what is their process and what is their charging structure so under under a non-regulatory remit they will be able to charge how they want when they want in whatever guise they want um so you know if they want to charge monthly or hourly or if they want to charge per program some up front some later that's that's really it is up to them but you need to they need to be upfront about how they're charging Whereas under regulation, it's very much stipulated we have to do things in a certain way. And you will have different businesses doing things differently. So it's not going to be all bits, one person, one company. Um, but it's um, still very, very much regulated that it should be very much up front and you should know where you stand. So I'm just going to focus a little bit more on the regulated side for a second, because it is, um, it is, it is an area that is not necessarily more complex, but it's more defined. So when it comes to working with a financial advisor, financial planner of some description, it's asking the question, um, what is your role? So are you a restricted financial advisor? What that means is that you can only work or you only work for one company. Um, you might be self-employed or employed, but you only work for one particular brand or one particular firm. So although you might be giving advice around how to invest and what that structuring might look like and the tax implications, are you primarily at the end going to only recommend one particular firm to work with because that's all you work with? Um, so I could give some really big brand names of people that and companies that do that and they're fantastic at their marketing. Um, however, I won't. Um, but then the opposite to that is somebody that is maybe working from a small panel. So they might only have a choice of two or three or four companies um, or they might work for one company, but um, that particular company has access to lots of different companies. Um, so the, the terminology um, is like a panel, descri description of a, like a panel, working off of a, of a panel. Um, and then the alternative is somebody who's independent. Now, because somebody's independent doesn't necessarily mean they have access to every single company. Under FSA reg regulation, um, there is actually quite a lot of um, remit around giving structured advice and not just picking things out of the air. Um, so at times there can be what we class as a, if you're giving investment advice, um, a structured central investment system or process um, where basically there is a board of directors who um, choose companies that are allowed on um, within that process. So you don't want companies that are going to go bankrupt. You don't want companies that don't have the, the, the diligence in place that have um, you know, poor performance or they've not, you know, they're not structurally sound companies to, have, to be advising clients. Um, so there has to be deemed what's classed as whole of markets. The FCA um, stipulate that that means that that advisor to say that they're independent, they have to have access to the whole of the market. So that doesn't necessarily mean, let's just say out there is 20,000 companies, you might say, okay, well, I've got access to 16,000 companies because my regulatory firm dictate that those other 4,000 companies are not regulatory good enough. So this is a simplified way of me explaining how this works. So I hope that makes sense.
So like myself, I'm an independent financial advisor and I have with, I'm regulated um, by the Financial Conduct Authority um, and I work through or with a company which is a large network called, um, I'm actually in the process of moving over them to them called Tenant and I have access to a very large whole of market proposition of many, many different lenders. Then you have advisors or individuals that you might know as John from the pub and they might um, be um, working as an independent financial advisor, but they're employed. So they work for a firm. So you can either be self-employed or you can be employed. So when you're employed, you are working for a firm. So if you work for a bank, you're restricted. You only offer that bank, but you're employed by that bank. Similarly, you can be an independent advisor or a restricted advisor and work employed for a particular firm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean um, that you're restricted. You could still be independent, but you're paid a basic salary and you have targets. So you're sort of told what you should or shouldn't be selling. And the ethos of that firm is really coming through in the way that that advisor deals with you it might not be their personal choice to do things a certain way they're being told to do things a certain way um, and that can employ even for somebody that is self-employed so they're self-employed but under it's like a contractual obligation that they work with one particular company and they are told by that firm to actually work in a certain way so for example, myself, I'm the third option. I am self-employed, but my, my own principal director of my own firm. So it means that I actually dictate what my client's process journey looks like um, within the regulatory remits that are set by me. So I hope that makes sense. So the questions you wanna be asking are, are you independent? Are you restricted in some way? Are you employed or self-employed? And, and the essence of how do you work with clients? Are you going to work within a certain way of doing things? Are you client led or are you dictated by the company you work for? And it will, you should get a real feel for that person and that business that they're working for. And also if they are employed or self-employed, but they're working for another firm, it's not their own name above the door, so to speak then ask them how long are you planning to stay and if you were to move on who am i who is who owns me as a client that might sound really bizarre but when you sign up as a client you there's a contract between that advisor and that firm as to who owns the client so if it's the business that owns you as a client you want to make sure you're brought into the business as much as you are as the advisor because if they move you lose them if it's the advisor, make sure obviously you're brought into that advisor more than you are the firm, because if they were to move, you would go with them. So what's next? So how do they work? Do they work online? Do they come to your house? How much involvement are they going to be getting involved with? What type of questions are they going to ask you? Is it purely a transactional process where you're moving from one thing to another? Or are they actually going to help you with more your lifestyle planning, what your future plans are? Are they going to be talking about your children and what your dreams are for them? Or what, if it, what your next house is going to look like? Um, or are they going to be more looking at you as a, um, okay, you've got this much money in this pot. Um, I want to take on that money and have it as a fund to manage because that is where an IFA or a financial advisor, where in terms of assets in their business, where they're looking to grow and build their revenue. So 
It's about you know, how are they going to work with you? What is their intentions? What is their business outcomes that they're looking for to achieve alongside supporting their clients? Because it should be mutually respecting and mutually working together. So I do both. I do do transactional work, moving monies around, potentially managing clients' money. But also I do the financial planning, the lifestyle planning stuff, which is more um, a sort of one-off pieces of advice um, where necessary. The most important ele element to all of this is fees. So with a regulatory advice, quite a lot of people will say, well, I'll give you a half an hour free consultation. That's often just like an initial inquiry, initial chat. And their advisors, they're trying to work out, does this client suit my model and can I help them? Um, so equally, you know, it's, it's a good time for you to ask these questions that I'm suggesting and it's a good time for you to gauge whether they're the right person for you. Because that person that you're going to work with is actually somebody that you're possibly going to work with for many, many years. Um, and you, it's a bit like your bank account. You don't have a bank account with one bank and then a month or two later you're fed up and you move it. Too much has gone into that relationship to change. And it's similar with a financial advisor. So it's good to do your due diligence. And if you feel that you're being rushed, um, explain to them that you are, feel that you're being rushed and actually you need a little bit more information or time. Um, so when it comes to charges, um, fees should be very clear and, and described right at the beginning that you should be given a fee document of some description. Um, people have it under different guises, but they, we have regulatory names for them. But whether it's presented to you as a brochure or an email or a letter, it should be all very clear up front. So there's different ways that advisors charge and um, it could be a one-off larger fee quite often. I'm talking a few thousand pounds and for that they will do investment advice they will do lifestyle planning and they won't charge for any anything else but they would charge thousands like two or three thousand pounds for that up upfront piece of advice but people that don't charge quite for that they would possibly do some admin a small administration fee maybe a few hundred pounds to make a sort of a, a brief assessment of the client's financial positioning but then when it comes to looking at whether they should move or not that advice piece would be that they would write a report and say, okay, if you want to move this pension, for example, from A to B, we will charge you a percentage. So that might be 1%, 2%, and as high as 3%. I find 3% is very expensive, personally. Um, but it does depend on how much work's involved. And you might say, okay, well, what's the difference between the fund being 100,000 or 500,000? Why should that dictate the cost being more and that's because the more the money that's in there the higher the compensation therefore the more the payout potentially would be so it's to do with regulatory insurance and um, protecting um, those businesses in terms of the risk that they're putting themselves at to give that advice um, so therefore they charge a percentage so for myself I for example I charge between one and two percent um, and um, but some firms charge more than that with, with that, with some clients, I will actually do some cash flow modeling and cash flow projections within that. Um, if let's say um, that there's, there's sort of enough work to be getting on with, you know, there needs to be a few things in place for me to um, do that work, you know, normally more complex scenarios. Um, and so that would be generally how, how it works. So you, and you have people that are lifestyle financial planners and you have people that are more transactional financial advisors so they are moving money from a to b and then the lifestyle financial planners might be moving money but they're also looking at the more holistic bigger picture and how it all fits together and they do tend to charge therefore quite differently 
Now, the, the key thing here is the ongoing. So for a lot of advisors, they don't just charge for that one piece of advice. There will be an ongoing fee because it should be managed on an ongoing basis. And that can be once a year. Under regulation, they have to do a certain amount of work to deem that they can charge that fee. And that is something called RDR. It's a retail, retail distribution review that was a few years ago that meant that under the FCA regulation, advisors can't just charge an ongoing fee and then not do anything with it. So it's really important that you have that ongoing relationship and that your advisor is doing that ongoing piece of work. So for myself, I have clients with what I call like sort of my um, lower, lower level clients. I don't have a minimum amount of investments. And with those clients, I would be reviewing their attitude to risk, I'd reviewing their financial position, see if there's any changes in their structures, their, their personal um, circumstances, and move any money that's necessary and make any adjustments that are necessary. But for clients that have more complex situations and larger amounts, we'd go into more detail about that holistic planning and that bigger piece. So for me, I charge the same thing. I charge a flat percentage um, across the board, but some advisors may charge additional costs or maybe have a flat fee, um, which is really important if they're charging a flat fee or um, quite a higher percentage because you've got lower funds. Um, you often can be overpaying um, unnecessarily and there might be a better alternative for you. So fees and fees are really crucial, not just from the financial advisor's perspective. Um, um, but so at the moment I charge half a percent. Um, if you're paying um, one, two percent, then that starts to that's eating into your capital return. And along with other costs for that investment um, can mean that actually it's eating into too much of your capital by the time that you have inflation applied. Um, actually, your, your, your funds haven't grown as much as you would have anticipated. Um, but some um, it depends on how that that fund management is in place. So you might have a platform fee and then you might have an actual um, asset management charge or an underlying fee charge. Now, they can only be small amounts, but obviously in total that can add up. And you really don't want to be paying overall more than two or so percent at a top end um, for the whole thing and um, to allow for your money to grow. Otherwise, it is eating into any returns and potential capitals if the, the returns are not in place in some years. So what questions to ask is, you know, not just how do you work and are you employed or self-employed or you're independent or you're restricted, but it's also looking at, okay, how do you charge? Can you explain what that looks like? And asking questions around, okay, so if you did X, would you then charge Y? Or if you do this, would you charge extra for that? Um, and so if I have this piece of advice given to me, when is the charge applied? And asking those questions more than once or twice should not be of any um, reason for an advisor to be concerned or worried. It's something that I'm quite happy to go over several times if necessary to make sure the client can understand. So here's some key questions that you can ask for a financial advisor or money coach or money mentor around getting some advice or some structures and education in place. And the key thing now is to think about actually what do you need? What stage are you at within your financial abundance? Do you need some of the basic coaching, which might not necessarily be for a financial advisor, um, but would it be for maybe a, a coaching or a membership program? 
if you want to check out my website you can do um, so my non-regulated website which is my coaching and mentoring is rebeccarobertsonevo.co.uk and then my regulatory website is evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk and of course there's lots of other financial advisors out there you're more than welcome to get in contact with me um, but you can look on uh, firms like um, unbiased or vouch for which will list other financial advisors local to your area as well I hope that's been of help. As always, please do leave a review. Let me know and give you your feedback on how this went. And equally, if you'd like to share with your friends and family, I'd equally love that too. You take care and have a fab day. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to know your thoughts and feedback, whether we've helped you master your money or assisted in future-proofing your finances. If you'd like to get in touch or to see further information about our services, please head over to www.rebeccarobertsonevo.co.uk.